Lights, camera, action. Welcome to a bonus episode of Mixed Take, a world outspoken podcast where we discuss how the mixing of cultures and heritages in the United States influence film, television, and other forms of media and entertainment. Don't be surprised to hear us laughing and geeking out over the movies and shows that we cover. We even love musicals. Yes, yes we do. Yeah, I said it. We said it. Musicals mm-hmm. like West Side Story, Singing in the Rain, and one of my uh, Robert. I don't know if this is one of your all-time favorites as well, but Hamilton. Oh, of course. Hey. Oh, definitely. Yes, I'm Robert Rivera, and I'm joined by a crazy rich co-host. <laughs> yeah, right. Don't I wish? <laughs> hey, I'm down. I meant to say you. crazy. I meant to say crazy <laughs> I, slash rich. I'm down with crazy. I'm a little loca here and there. That's look. Right on my alley. I'm Donnie Alicea, and today we're excited to talk about the talented director of Crazy Rich Asians, hence the crazy, uh, John M. Chu, who, in his own words, is a man who sweats soy sauce. Yes, that is disgusting, respect. Sonny, by the way. <laughs> I respect that. Mis- I was like, yes, I love it. I bet you know, I bet you that does uh, cut down on some of the grocery bill. <laughs> Most definitely. What do you think? Yeah. Man, I'm so excited to dig in. Um, but before we get to John M. Chu, Robert, I would love to hear your quick takes, which basically is kind of us giving a quick snippet of our thoughts on John M. Chu. So, Robert, take it away. Take one. My quick take on John M. Chu is that he is a man that was lost in the American dream and then found himself in crazy rich asians so he was lost and now he's found is that (laughs) yeah john m chu lost his identity trying to assimilate to the majority culture but then found himself and began creating great works of art reflecting his culture i love it It, you know we'll dig into john m chu a little bit more um but i love that aspect that I think so many children of immigrants go through is like, mm-hmm. you feel like you're from the one world, but you're living in the world of a different country and you know, you, you never quite fit in. So you have to carve out your own space and make your own path. That's, that's unique to, to you, but that's also comparable to the stories of many other immigrant children. Yeah. Oh yeah, it. definitely. Definitely. I know we're going to dive into that a little bit more later, but uh, Donnie, what's your quick take? Ooh, glad you asked, Robert. Okay, so (laughs) my two quick take is that I'm so glad he started to highlight immigrant stories, Um, you know, creating beautiful films like Crazy Rich Asians at a a time in our nation's history when anti-Asian racist attacks are happening. I'm so glad that one Mexican and one Mexican Puerto Rican living in Chicago, we get to have this conversation because I think it, it shines a spotlight onto a gifted storyteller that has a lot to say about this issue of racism in America and the immigrant story. So that's my quick take on Chu. Definitely, definitely. Ooh, I like that a lot. Well, Donnie, that leads us into what we like to call the pre-production and runtime. This is the part of the show where we explore the life and works of John M. Chu. And without further ado, let's dive in. Donnie, what do you know about his uh, his early life here? 
Yeah, you know, one of the interesting things that I, I learned as we, you know, we're doing some research on John M. Chu is that one of his first movies that made him want to be a director was E.T., and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the nostalgia of growing up in the 80s, I, I remember, you know, hearkening back to how cool E.T. was. We all had the E.T. toys and E.T. phone home and, the you know, the fingers touching and um, that movie poster with the giant moon and the kid riding his bike with E.T., you know, like all yeah. of that um, for all of the you know children of the 80s and beyond we love E.T. So we get the sentiment of how powerful a story it was, how impactful it was to our culture. So it makes sense that for for um, John M. Chu, E.T. was that movie like, yo, I want to do that. Oh, definitely. I think, yeah, that's that movie that has affected us all. It's interesting, though, you know, just to to rewind a little bit on, on that. His parents uh, made their way to the States from Taiwan and China mm-hmm. without knowing a word of English. Yeah. That sounds, I mean, that's not an unfamiliar immigrant story, right? Right, right. However, they knew that America was the greatest place in the world. And when I say new, it's uh, quotations, right? Mm-hmm. But they knew that this was, this had to be a better place. And they believe that if you work hard and you love what you do, you can do anything. And so they had this mentality of that everything or anything is possible if you put your mind to it. So they they began to pursue the American dream and opened up a restaurant, a Chinese restaurant, uh, raised five kids. 50 years later, that restaurant is still there. Yep. Still there in the Silicon Valley. Interesting that they were in moved to Palo Alto, which now has become just such a prestigious area. And mm-hmm. I mean, little did his parents know it would afford Chu lots of advantages even like it, in one of his interviews, he talks about how his dad would talk him up in the restaurant to the patrons, yeah. you know, that would come in and yep. and he would get free editing software and video goodies like hand me down stuff or not even on the market yet, just in beta phase. And it would go to John of June. He'd figure it out. He'd read the manuals. He'd like dig in. And even that the choice of where his parents chose to move in the United States was huge for for Chu and hugely impactful to what would later become a really successful director. I think the turning point in his life, if I remember correctly, was uh, he was given a camera mm-hmm. as a as a boy, and he recorded his family. Nothing, there was nothing uh, special about it. It was. Do you remember that back in the eighties? Like somebody in the family had a camcorder yeah, and they'd walk always. around, and everyone is jumping in front of it, all of a sudden <laughs> trying to do somersaults and True. and doing whatever quirk or talent, whatever they know how to do, they just want to get in front of it. Absolutely. It was it was a novelty. And I think he'd walk around with that, that well, camera. Well, not much has changed in the past 30 years. That is true. <laughs> now we just call them selfies. Right. <laughs> it's like, we still get in front of cameras. But it used to be just one person, that one lucky person mm-hmm. with the heaviest camera you can ever imagine on their shoulder, <laughs> right, right. walking around like a news cameraman. Yep. And he would just take shots of his family. And mm-hmm. then... He edited it together and showed them, and they wept because for the first time, they saw themselves on a TV screen. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we know where this is going, right? You turn on the TV, there's a lack of representation, um, especially in the Asian community. So to see themselves was, was powerful. That imagery then planted this idea in his mind that I want to do this. I want to make movies that have an impact on other people. Yeah. 
And I wouldn't even say it's just the Asian culture. Like if you're not in the majority culture, it's right. unlikely that you're going to be cast for a major role or, you know, you're, you might be the, the funny sidekick or the goofy tech, you know, wizard or something like that. But the lead roles are reserved for a certain look that the majority culture, you know, has. They dictate who, who those roles go to. As, as John M. Chu pursues directing and, and now it's interesting that he's like, well, now we can finally have conversations about, well, hey, can this character be this ethnicity or this gender or something like that? Now that the conversations are, are opening, but to get there, boy, oh boy, it was a path. So hearkening back to grown up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I want to just uh, bring up this word, though, or revisit this word that I said earlier, assimilation. Because I feel like this is a this is a huge part of the immigrant mm-hmm. story and a yeah. decision that every family has to make right when they come. They're going to assimilate or or not. And I think I've seen families that have assimilated very well and others that have chosen not to assimilate. His family chose the route of trying to assimilate into the culture. And they really, I think, had a, a dream for John to be successful, all the kids to be successful. Mm-hmm. And what I think is hilarious is that um, I remember as a kid staying up late with my mom to watch a show called Heart to Heart. Mm-hmm. And uh, the characters' names were Jonathan and Jennifer. And his parents took those names and named him Jonathan and his sister Jennifer. Mm-hmm. So um, in a way of, you know, kind of speaking over this this assimilation slash American dream into his life and I look at that and I see that kind of birth in him from the very beginning. Like, okay, this this was their way to to make me fit into the culture. A name mm-hmm. that's that is uh, recognizable, safe, it's non threatening, and he kind of uh, rolled with that. And it's not even just the story of one type of immigrant that comes here. That assimilation piece is right. every immigrant family that comes here from every continent, all around the world. They come here and they have choices to make. And this country makes it very difficult for those that choose a lifestyle that doesn't assimilate. You know, then it's like, oh, they're odd or they're weird or something like that. So the magnet, if you will, to fit in that draw, that appeal to look like everyone else is so incredibly strong that many immigrant families do come here. They do try to assimilate. And when the children of immigrant try to assimilate, there's always something that doesn't quite fit because you still have your cultural heritage and roots and things from your culture that say, well, you know, you kind of look this way and sound this way and eat this food and wear these clothes and go to these places and celebrate these holidays. But then you're living in a country that may not eat those same foods and celebrate right. those same holidays in the same way as your family does. So it's like you're balancing between these two giant worlds. Neither one is right or wrong, but you're pulled and you never quite feel like you fit in one or the other. And it's an interesting thing because I think about, it's just what happens when you have many cultures, right? Living in, in one space. And I like that you said not one of them isn't right and one of them isn't wrong. And you can understand in, in some ways, there's resistance whenever mm-hmm. a new way of life tries to come in and introduce something new. Oh, absolutely. There's demonization that happens. It starts to be like it's right or wrong. And it's like, oh, if only the world didn't, you know, if we, we were open to 
diversity. It's like it doesn't have to be right or wrong. It could be an yeah. acceptance of both, a value of both and and what both bring to the table. Yeah. I think I think John recognized this too uh, early on. He he saw he saw racism Mm-hmm. But struggled to speak up against it, whether it was a cultural thing or not. But it might be part of that assimilation piece again, right? Like you don't speak up about it. You don't make you don't make noise mm-hmm. because that draws unwanted attention. And so, although he saw it, he he chose to to kind of stay silent. And I think we're we're all guilty of that to some level, to some degree, mm-hmm. to some extreme. Like we've all seen racism, and some of it, I think, for us is maybe um ignorance like when you're young you just don't know what is the right response what is the proper thing to say and when you hear it from people like you respect like a professor in college or an older uncle or parent you know especially from an asian or even a latino culture i don't necessarily Mm -hmm. you know feel okay rebuking if you will somebody that's older than me that i love and that i respect it's like oh you know boy how do i feel about what they just said and i know to you know to my core i disagree but what's the proper way to say something and that can take years to formulate for many of us and i know for john john m chu was the same it wasn't really until college where he started to feel like he had a voice and could start to put thought to word or feeling to word or action just, just you know yeah but here's the thing like so if if he was going to be successful in in Hollywood though he had to play the game mm-hmm. like he could not go in guns blazing his family wanted right. him to make i think movies that reflected his culture his traditions yeah. Yeah. um his heritage he recognized that is not going to help me become a successful mm. um director so he directed a bunch of movies that helped him become established as just a known director right, in, in Hollywood. But it wasn't until he went on Twitter and he saw Constance Wu tweeting and other uh, people of Asian descent tw- uh, tweeting about lack of representation in Hollywood on the big screen that he had this kind of epiphany when he's like, yeah, you're right. You're right. We don't see a lot of representation in Hollywood. And then he thought about it. He's like, wait, I'm a director in Hollywood. I am Hollywood. <laughs> right. Hold up. Wait, and wait, wait. so, yeah, so I was like, well, well, she's talking about me. So at that point, I think, I think he, uh, I-, I forget the exact process of how crazy rich Asians uh, came together. If he read, if he had read the book and said, this is, this is the project that I want to do and, and got together with some writers to, to create it. But that was a turning point though, in his career. Donna, you mentioned some, uh, some of his other movies. So while while we um you know really would love to dig into all the works of John M. Chu, kind of like Robert said, I think how he started out in his directing career, he, he um, did lots of movies that he had to do. You know, when you're presented with an opportunity to direct a movie starring The Rock, I don't know a director out there who's going to be like, "Nah, I'm gonna pass." <laughs> like, right? You got The Rock, you got Bruce Willis. It's like, okay. You're- Right, because that's networking essentially, right? Yes, absolutely. So I was like, okay, let me wet my chops. Let me get this stuff going. Let me do different types of things. And I, I really am kind of amazed at the different styles um, and genres of films that he's been able to do sure. um, since beginning his career. So you start, you know, step up two. It's like, oh, okay, that's cool. There's dance. There was the cool like 
battle in the rain scene. I'm like, oh man, you know, the organization to to mm-hmm. get that level of musicality and the orchestration of all the dancers and all that stuff. It's like, okay, cool. Um, and then he did Never Say Never, which is a mm-hmm. Justin Bieber documentary. And even in his recent films, he's got nothing but love for Justin Bieber and talks about how Bieber has this like really romantic view of life and is just a really good guy. So yeah. again, just more like you said, connections that he's building in the industry. And then fast forward to 2013 with G.I. Joe Retaliation starring The Rock and Channing Tatum and Bruce Willis. Again, managing in that one, learning how to manage an all-star cast. I think was was you know something really huge and valuable to yeah. oh, his totally. profession. Um, and then now you see me too in 2016 yeah. with Jesse Eisenberg, Mark Ruffalo, Woody Harrelson. Again, another all star cast, really good film. And then kind of branched out in 2018 and did something really different on a, a short called Somewhere, completely filmed on his iPhone XS Max, and it, it's basically starring a b boy, uh, Luigi Rosato. It's really cool to see the different angles, different approaches that he took. It's like two minutes. The The big takeaway at the end of, of the whole thing is somewhere someone is practicing. So it's really, you know, just kind of a thoughtful piece. But again, just short and kind of outside of his normal wheelhouse. So again, grateful for like his artistry and all that he's contributed to Hollywood. But I think those were things that he, he needed to do and maybe offered some lessons that just helped him to become a better director. And I think we would both agree that so happy that Crazy Rich Asians 2018 tells the story of people that, particularly Asians, that that aren't often represented on film in major roles. And he makes the point in a couple of his interviews that the romantic role is never, never cast by Asians. But mm. like on both sides, both male and female. Or So I thought that was fascinating that yeah. not only is it an all-star cast, not only is it all Asian, but then there's the romantic element to the film. So pretty cool. Definitely, definitely. I mean, it's first of all, let's just say that it's groundbreaking, right? It is yeah. the first all-Asian cast in 25 years in a contemporary mm-hmm. setting. So this isn't a period piece. What's interesting is like he didn't even understand what he was making. He didn't understand yeah. the significance of it. He was passionate about what he wanted to do, didn't, but didn't know that it was going to grow to the to be successful. Exactly. It's, I think you know, like any artist, you start doing something and you're like, "Is anybody gonna like it?" And <laughs> little did he know, bro, everybody's gonna like it. Well, the thing is, it, I think part of it is it had that grassroots yeah, um, yeah. success where word of mouth here and there, like, check this out, check this out. It reminds me of of The Passion of the Christ before that movie came out and all the churches oh, were like, man. we got we to rent out movie theaters. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and I felt like the hype was kind of like that. So mm-hmm. it made me curious. What is this movie? But I think it's important because John, who is Asian, is able to control the narrative yeah. of the Asians in the film. Yeah. So he... He does not have to give in to stereotype. He doesn't have to give in to misrepresentation. And he can control the story however he wants to and however he wants to represent, you know, the Asian population on the screen. And how incredibly empowering because so often, and we've talked about this before, Latinos will be portrayed as the cholo and it's like, oh my goodness, how many roles or, you know, movies do we need to see the same 
characterizations of black and brown men and women always put into these certain boxes. So I love the fact that, again, he gets to control what Asians look like on screen and they're not just the sidekick or the, you know, fill in the blank, the Kung Fu fighter, you know, like we all know and love Jackie Chan. We all know and love Bruce Lee, but Asians are more than just that. I'm so grateful. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I I like uh, that the movie is contemporary yet. It has a real, it has a real rich style to it. Mm-hmm. Inspired by the Great Gatsby, I can see those. Yeah, uh, some of those themes, just you know, the culture of it. The other thing is, the question I, that I think we all have, or that I have, is who are like maybe I'll ask you, who are you rooting for in that movie? Were you rooting for Constance Wu, or were you rooting for I forget her fiance's uh, family? You know what's interesting? I don't think I was rooting for anyone. I loved. I just really loved the world. For me, it was like when it's kind of like when you're watching Black Panther, you're like, oh, man, I love Black Panther, but I also love and respect uh, his cousin, like Killmonger has some great, you know what I mean? So it was kind of like that dichotomy of like, yo, like I see, you know, the both sides and this world I know nothing about. I'm not even close to wealthy, you know, like these people aren't just rich, they're wealthy, like their generations and so 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 for me it was just like pure comedy and like oh my gosh this is so cool and so awesome and i love this world so for me it was just pure enjoyment how about you who are you rooting for you know it's funny because on one hand uh you have constance Wu's character who is she's from the united states oh yeah yeah, so i so you know what i relate to her yeah true 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 but yet she's going in and in in essence trying to change the culture of that family right, even right and the dynamics of that family and so while i see the mother as a little bit of a villain um i also step back and say is that my my bias hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah that that's a complex one but in the movie i'm definitely rooting for for constance i don't know if i'm supposed to be or not and but <laughs> I think but probably. it forced me it forced me to think though i think it forced me to think why was the family so so bent on preserving what they already had and it it reminds me of this idea of beginning to lose culture so you you allow this this asian american in she brings her american ideals they start mm-hmm. to seep in they're passed on to the children and and perhaps uh, there's a fear of, of a culture being lost yeah for Chu, he says, I wanted to, uh, about the the overall film, he wanted to create a film in a way we haven't ever seen Asians before. Contemporary, stylish, at the top of art and fashion, emotional, funny, sarcastic, unapologetic, and confident. And I think he was successful in that. So, oh, yeah, Robert, definitely. what do you anticipate with In the Heights from John M. Chu, who's directing this, you know, amazing story, hits close to home for us. We're both Puerto Rican. In the Heights set in New York. It's Lin-Manuel Miranda's, you know, Pride and Joy. What are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah. I'm excited. It's it's basically about uh, Washington Heights, uh, Dominican and, and Puerto Rican community threatened by gentrification. But um, Donnie, I, I have to admit this. Rarely has there been a day where I've seen the original trailer and 
not get the chills or, or want to shed a tear. I, it just, it looks beautiful. W- one thing that I'll say is that we talked about his, his prior movies, Step Up and, and the Justin Bieber and, and the one on with the B-Boy. And I could see how that experience, all the dancing and choreography mm-hmm. in those movies is going to help in the Heights, which is a musical. So totally. he's back. So he's using that experience. And because of that, I have, this is no pun intended. I have high hopes for for this movie and i'll be very disappointed if it isn't the greatest movie of all time okay maybe that's a little bit high up there but (laughs) too much too much come on bring it it back but i think it's gonna be great i'm with you yeah if it's not if it's not great i think that i'll be very disappointed it looks from everything that i see i love the soundtrack of in the heights i listen to it all the time Mm -hmm. i'm seeing it fleshed out i've seen like little clips of in the height the play on youtube and it's it feels like a dark gritty New York. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This seems like a very bright and vibrant New York. Yeah, yeah. And I love it. Yeah. What I'm most excited about is a different dimension to the immigrant story that John M. Chu is going to bring through uh, in the oh, Heights. Oh, yeah. So it's like this idea of the American dream. Is it still alive? Is it still a well, alive mm. and well? Is it still offered to peoples from all across the country, from yeah. all across the globe, coming to this country to carve out what we would call the American dream. And Ooh, we great question. We had, you know, this conversation with our producer as well. What exactly is the American dream? So Robert, what would you say the American dream is? Oh man, putting me on the spot. You know, I don't know, this isn't a, a scholarly definition, but I think the American dream is being able to live out a life of success and comfort. In, in my mind, there is, there's owning of, of property. There is a stability uh, mm-hmm. in a family, possibly. I, I don't know. D- does the American dream, do you need to have a family? I think it's just being at a place where you are, where you're living comfortably uh, yeah. in wealth. Yeah. And, uh, and you have the ability to continue to excel yeah. in, in this society. Yeah, we have the opportunities Yes. Whether it's through education, whether it's through vocation, whether it's mm-hmm. connection, family, whatever it is, you've got opportunities available to you to, like you said, carve out this space for you that is, whether it's comfort or ease or security or comfort or whatever it is, you can carve out your quote unquote peace, whatever peace means to you, whatever joy means to you. And likely it's kind of like you said, something related to family as well. So it's either for you and your family or your future family or something like that. I would totally agree. And so I think I'm hoping that In the Heights, you know, touches on this and and develops it so that we can see the stories of these uh, of a different immigrant culture, you know, immigrants coming to the U.S. and how they're trying to carve out their American dream and how hard it is. How or it might un- redefine it. This uh, country it might, can be, or it might re- redefine r- really what mm. the American dream is, mm-hmm. um, because yeah, there is there is a place right where the American dream can be toxic, yes, where people sacrifice families and relationships to achieve a certain goal. Um, but I also think that your question is a really good one: Is the American dream available for all people? And um, you know, that it's a, it's a great question. Um, mm-hmm. 
that I'm not actually prepared to answer. But I know um, it's, I mean, it's something you, for me to really think about. Yeah, I mean, if we, especially if you know, we start to consider the anti-Asian attacks happening in light of COVID-19 and, and the responses yeah. of, oh, Asians brought it here. You know, all the the lies that come out of that. And if we look back to 2020 and all the riots and the Black Lives Matter movement really being raised to a global level, like, ra- you know, racism is, is huge and it oppresses entire groups of people. And us even having Latino experiences and knowing what it is to be racially profiled or not selected for fill in the blank. Is the American dream available for all? I do not know. And I love your point about its toxicity. So like the the American dream of the house with the white picket fence, two and a half kids, car, dog, what you know, living in the suburbs. What if, you know, can can we revolutionize what the American dream looks like and can we put immigrants at the focus of it? Yeah. And then is the American dream then again just assimilation? Like if you made it, you look this way and you act Mm. this way. And unfortunately, Hmm. you know, our whole lives we've been we've been taught history. We've been taught even even in some ways in, in our Christianity. Um, and, and, and through other aspects, you know, values and, and what is what our values are. We've been taught a lot of this through a very majority culture perspective. And I had there was a student that I would that I would talk to here at Moody. He was a, a Pacific Islander. And it was it was great having some conversations with him where he was able to re kind of ex, uh, re-explore and rediscover his roots because there was i think there was a, a a pushback a little bit from from some some people to say hey you know like culture and and our ethnicities um are not as important so there was a low value on that and so as he he starts to dig in deeper it's kind of like is there is there really much value in that and he uh he began to realize yes there is and and started to mm-hmm. see a richness and how his culture uh helped him even understand who God was deeper in terms of like, like the, the, uh, the respect for land, for instance, the respect mm-hmm. for the earth and how that helps us understand God's creation in, in a deeper way, uh, where I, I was always kind of taught this subtle understanding that, uh, who cares about the earth? It's going to burn up anyway, one day. Yeah. And um, it's like, if it didn't matter, then why in Revelation is there every nation, every tribe, every tongue? Why do why do we why do we retain in eternity aspects of our cultural heritage that we have here? Why does yeah. language then extend into eternity if it doesn't matter? It's because it does matter. All of it matters. Like this this um it's like looking into a prism. There's so many different angles and so much to see, and no one culture gets it right. We need one another to broaden our horizons and broaden our view and our understanding of the Lord. And if we just fall prey to, no, people need to look like us and sing songs like us and no, it's got to be this Hillsong track or that Bethel song, you know, it's like, oh man, we, we miss out on, on so much um, other, so much of the other beauties that are yeah. in store for us. Man, this, awesome. is, this has been such a great conversation. Oh, definitely. But I think that uh, it is time for 
post-production, wouldn't you say? Yes. So what is post-production? This is where we go beyond the film and give our final takes. We'll either give you our personal takeaways or how John M. M2 has influenced the entertainment world. So I'll say my final take on John M. Chu is that I'm astounded at how similar the immigrant story is in the U.S. So whether you're Asian, African, Latino, regardless of where you come from, anti-Chinese and anti-Mexican rhetoric looks the same. It's all hateful. It's all violent. And it's often led by those in positions of power to oppress immigrants. So there's a really great show on HBO that tells this story really well. It's called Warriors. It's based on a story by Bruce Lee. It's produced by um, his daughter, Shannon Lee. Fabulous story, basically, about the Chinese immigrant um, journey in the mid-1800s in San Francisco. Oh, my goodness. Just Literally, stuff that went on then is happening now with Mexicans in Arizona or happened in the 60s with Japanese in California or happened with Native Americans all till current day all over the country on reservations or, you know, with pipelines or all that. So it's like, oh, my goodness, all these like anti fill in the blank rhetorics just looks exactly the same. So. Um, I'm grateful, again, just that the immigrant story is being elevated. In the U.S., we have microphones, we have platforms. You and I, we have a podcast. People have their Mm -hmm. social media channels to speak out against racial injustice. So even if our network of friends and family is small, we still have a platform, which means we're all responsible to speak out against racism. For those of us who remain silent, we're just as guilty as those who spread racist hate and violence in the world. I truly believe that. Um, so we need people in front of the camera and behind the camera telling our stories to tell Mexican mm-hmm. stories and Puerto Rican stories and Chinese stories and Thai stories and Nigerian stories and Ugandan stories and Brazilian stories, et cetera, et cetera. Start speaking our, out, start making moves. Even if they're the wrong moves, it can still lead to the right moves by way of progression. So I apologize. Yeah. That is a long post-production final take. Oh, that's that's but. good stuff, though, Donnie. That's good stuff. Awesome. Yeah, you know what? My thoughts. Um, yeah, please. Unlike the Latino and Black re- representation on screen, I believe that there's still a huge misunderstanding of the Asian community and mm-hmm. its complexities. That's why Crazy Rich Asians is such an important film. Mm-hmm. Because like you said, like we need... We need those movies. We need those movies that 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 show us a different perspective. I think it was always be my maybe my maybe on mm, Netflix. Such a good story. Um, yeah, that one. Um, I think that that was. I think Crazy Rich Asians helped the success of of that. Yeah. Um, and I hope that we see a lot more films highlighting the Asian experience for no other reason than I want to learn and mm. I want to experience that with them. John M. Chu highlights how his Asian heritage doesn't allow him to be bossy, a bossy jerk on set. You know why? Because he wants to empower others rather than Mm. um, just be cutthroat to get to the top. And we talked about this with Ava DuVernay, and I see that again in him. Mm -hmm. He's a person that wants to collab with others. That's Mm -hmm. why I'm I'm excited about In the Heights, because I know he's collabing uh, closely with Lin-Manuel. And so because of that, 
I think that we're gonna we're gonna see a great product. Um, yeah, it was cool. I, they were saying like even when he was filming, the um, one of the composers was actually on site, and so if they needed to like change something, they'd be like, "Hey, can you you know we sub this out?" And she'd be like, "Oh yeah, yeah, okay." And she'd like she'd go and like do the thing and then bring it back quick. And so it was like it seemed like an incubator of creativity when making yes. this film. Oh, and that that excites me. Right, because yeah. he he's not coming in kind of bulldozing his way on set. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The last thing I'll say about him is he understands. I think he had, he's got a vision after you know the hashtag Oscar so white after the <laughs> tweets, after the tweets okay. from the Asian community, and obviously he he has a passion not to just tell stories of the Asian community mm-hmm, by mm-hmm. taking in the heights. I hope to see him give a voice to those who have less of a voice mm-hmm. in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And he says that if our currency is content, then keep creating. Mm. And and I love that. The more stories we see, the more we get to understand other other cultures. And so I'm excited to see what lies ahead. That is so good. Say that again. Currency is what? Yeah. If our currency is content, then keep creating. You know how you hear some things and you're like, man, that should be a verse. <laughs> 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 man that's super deep that's like oh wow. are you wait are you saying we should add it into the scripture like no but you know what i'm saying like sometimes like you know our, our, no, our yeah. people that we love it's just like wisdom oh, man if yeah that's that's some oh, gold yeah. right there it's like that needs to be an african proverb or you know <laughs> that's what's up oh man so uh, that that leads us to our our deleted scenes have you ever watched a movie and wondered what it would look like in the hands of another director? Or maybe you wonder how your favorite director would have directed a certain film. Well, that leads us to our next segment called Deleted Scenes. So, Robert, is there a movie out there that you would have liked to seen John M. Chu like to have seen him create or would you like him to make? You know, I don't I don't have any uh, specific uh, movies uh, in mind, but I would just, like I said earlier, I would, I would like to see him give voice to and give representation to those that, that have, uh, lacked representation on, on screen. So I'm actually really, I'd be really excited to see more, more projects highlighting the Asian experience. Mm -hmm. If he were to go serious, then perhaps, I don't know if this is in his wheelhouse, maybe, Maybe this is it'd be his breakout uh, movie, but I'm wondering why we've never seen movies about the internment camps. Is that what they're called? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're talking about like the the with the Japanese and during um, like World War II type of stuff. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I'm just wondering why why we haven't seen much on that, mm-hmm. and that would be interesting to to kind of see the perspective of maybe a family who came here looking for the American dream mm. and then is. And then is viewed as the villain yeah, because of the war. Oh, that would be awesome. For me, yeah. there are two things. One, Warrior, which I, I referred to just a bit ago. 
I would love to see John M. Chu direct, you know, a couple episodes to get his creativity in there. And I know he does episodes on shows. So this is like right up his alley. And then two, because E.T. was so impactful to him as a kid, I would love to see him either do like a sequel to E.T. or a remake wow. of E.T. or Bold. something along. And John M. Chu, I hope you hear this one day and you make this film. I would love to see his take on E.T. again, if it's a sequel, kind of like Creed is to Rocky, where it's, you know, years in the the future and and there's, you know, just a lot of depth. So something like that or a total remake, which that one might be a little bit harder, but give John M. Chu a couple years. And I, I think if he finds the right writers and the right team, he can knock it out of the park. Wow, those are brave suggestions. I would rather go with kind of a sequel spinoff, not a remake. I know, I That's, know. That would be my... I agree. And we were talking before the show, like if Drew Barrymore came out, you know, she's much older now, so it mm-hmm. would actually make sense and be really, it could be really cute. If she could tie it in and yeah. Mm-hmm. Or drop him in a, in another cultural setting. Like what would he be like in another... Another oh. cultural setting. It could still be the U.S. and but yeah. Oh, it could be like dropping drop him into Washington Heights. I was gonna in the, middle of the in the Heights movie. There he is. <laughs> Maybe that's what happens. I haven't seen the movie yet. Maybe in the middle if E.T. In the shows Heights. up at the end of yeah, in the he, Heights. He just, yeah, and he's break dancing at the ending. We don't know. Yo, on his one finger, that would be you know like the spin. Oh, just of course. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I was thinking. Oh, I love it. So, anyway. Well, thanks for joining us for this bonus episode of Mixed Take. Thank you. (laughs) If you enjoyed this episode, please give us five stars. Also, head over to worldoutspoken.com, a site preparing the Mestizo Church for cultural change, where you'll find information on consulting services, thought-provoking blog posts, and other great podcasts such as The Feature, Questions from the Pew, and... Season two of the Mestizo podcast. Got to check that one out. Please do so if you have not already with host Emmanuel Padilla and Doctora Elizabeth Glenda Frazier. Their lineup this season is bonkers. Is it bonkers? Um, it is bonkers. Hey, Donnie, <laughs> uh, do you have any uh, <laughs> any favorite uh, contributors, uh, World Outspoken? Oh, uh, Itzel. Uh, she she just wrote um, blog, all of her blog posts for me hit really close to home. So any anything by Itzel. And of course, I really am enjoying the Mestizo podcast this season. I mean, just in yes. episode one alone, so much truth. You know, the the history system in our uh, the history classes in our schools really skew and don't really tell the full history of, of our country. So in, in the first episode, I'm not going to give any spoilers, but they talk on a lot of the history in our nation when um, the United States basically stole Mexican land. So what is now parts of Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, California, and the oppression and, and all that went into basically persecution of the Mexican people in that land. So very interesting, very fascinating. So, oh, Mestizo yeah. Podcast, I need to tell for sure. Definitely, how, definitely. How about you? Who you, are your faves? You can, I think the Mestizo Podcast as well is you're, you're being educated every episode. Allegi. It's like taking a course. 
take, literally take i was like wow yes. this is so cool yes so anyways special thanks to our producer michelle perez also thanks to emmanuel padilla and the world outspoken crew we hope you join us again as we continue to dive into the world of culture influencing content creators but until next time cut it's a wrap ha <laughs> ha